the seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My 7 Chakras, my7chakras.com, the show where we provide you ancient wisdom, inspiring stories, and action steps that will help you transform your life. Now, before we dive into today's episode, let me read out our most recent iTunes five-star rating and review by user named Sarah from the UK, who writes, Episode on anxiety was very helpful. Three quick and easy tools to carry with you always. Many thanks for providing this much needed service. Thanks, Sarah and Action Tribe. If you'd like for me to read out your review as well, the process is super simple. Go to my7chakras.com forward slash review, my7chakras.com forward slash review, write your review and hit submit. It's super simple. All right, so for our guest today, our guest for today is the CEO and president of Avtar Resources, a global consulting firm he founded in 1987. He has coached and consulted worldwide and has personally delivered training programs to more than a quarter of a million individuals and has directly impacted more than one million people. Blaine is an adjunct professor at Beijing University, founder of the Institute for Compassionate capitalism and a member of the transformational leadership council he sits on the board of directors of the unstoppable foundation and the world business academy and is a member of the advisory boards of the all japan management coaching association and the asia coaching and mentoring association now he is a knight of the sovereign order of saint john of jerusalem knights of malta the world's oldest humanitarian organization and is a best-selling author of the first international bestseller compassionate Com capitalism which we're going to talk about today a journey to the soul of business and he's also the author of the three-dimensional coaching so action tribe our guest for today is blaine bartlett so blaine thanks a lot for joining and are you hey, ready Jay, my to pleasure inspire? it's good to be here <laughs> Wonderful. So great, great to have you here as well. Now, we usually begin our interviews with some inspiration. So what is that one inspirational quote that really drives you and how do you apply it in your day-to-day -day life? An inspirational quote. Um, I came across this well, a little backstory. Yeah, I grew up on a farm and we can talk about that in a little bit, but that's relevant to a lot of the work I do. Um, mm -hmm. Nature has been probably my greatest teacher. Um, and the quote that, uh, particularly in business that I, uh, pay attention to is there is nothing no, there is literally no problem that a business or a business owner will confront that has not been addressed and handled, solved in the rainforest. Nature has a way of actually addressing anything that comes at it. And so I may be faced with a significant, what I consider to be, or would seem to be a consider, 
considerable business obstacle, but if I can actually back up from you know being confronted with it and right in the face of it and get back to what might nature tell me about a way to solve this, what might be an elegant solution, what might be a, uh, a healthy solution, um, the rainforest yeah, can, can actually address that. So it, it's a little uh, abstract, but it it's, has served me extraordinarily well over the years. Wonderful. I love this quote a really lot. I'm a true believer in the power of healing from nature. And like you pointed out, especially as entrepreneurs, people who are here to transform the world through their ideas and bringing it out to real life. If you are facing a problem, then that's a problem that is probably being solved out in nature. It has been solved by the universe. All we need to do is either go out in nature or just observe. Right, so thanks a lot for bringing us this wonderful wisdom just at the beginning of this episode. Uh, so my question to you is, uh, what inspired you to write your book, Compassionate Capitalism? <laughs> well, it's very much tied into the quote that I just uh, spoke to. Uh, I've been in business all my adult life. Uh, I've, I've uh, traveled all over the world. I've literally worked on you know, every continent except Antarctica. Um, uh, I've worked with some of the largest organizations on the planet and some of the smallest. And the one thing that seemed to be pretty evident pretty early on was that the um, environment of most organizations in some way, shape or form was toxic. Mm. And toxic not just to the human spirit and to the people inside, but also ultimately toxic to the external environment in which they were operating. And that toxicity seemed unnatural to me. Um, again, as I grew up, you know, on a farm and, and I would walk, you know, the pastures and walk the forest, there was no toxicity. I mean, it, it, things seemed to be alive. They seemed to be natural. They seemed to be healed. They seemed to, they, it, everything seemed to work well. Um, but my experience at work was that people would show up and they were asked to, uh, let go of their humanness and, uh, fit into a, an industrial complex, you know, be a cog in a wheel of a machine that was turning that would produce an output. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't natural. It just didn't seem natural. So um, that began a lifelong journey, really, of, of, of exploring, could it be different? It, and my, my discovery, if you could call it a discovery, is yes, in fact, it can be different, but it takes a completely different mindset. Uh, in order for it to happen. And that mindset for me is captured in the book, Compassionate Capitalism, A Journey to the Soul of Business. Got it. So that's a really wonderful uh, thing to bring out right now. I mean, I speak to many of our listeners and people in our community. And what I find is that a lot of people who are you know, doing a job or working in a particular company, they really look forward to the weekend but as soon as it, you know, Sunday afternoon happens, they're like, they don't want to go. And deep down subconsciously, they know that they don't want to go. But like you pointed out, it's because there's a level of toxicity in the environment at the workplace. And we as humans, well, we want to retain our humanity. And that's why we tend to avoid it. And the truth is that you are trying to let go of that feeling of being a cog in the wheel which is i think a very powerful uh movement to 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 propagate uh so i mean going deeper into this what are some examples of compassionate 
capitalists that you see in the world today or compassionate leaders that truly embody the the idea of uh, compassionate comp- capitalism there well there are a number of them um i'm i'm part of an organization um called uh, conscious capitalism uh and conscious capitalism actually is a is is a fairly large uh movement okay. that was started with a book that was written by John Mackey, who was the founder of Whole Foods, okay. and a very good friend of mine, yeah, uh, as well, uh, and, a, and a co-author, Raj Sisodia. And Raj uh, was a professor of business at Babson uh, College yeah, on the East Coast of the US. And they wrote this book called um, Conscious Capitalism that spoke about an increasing awareness on the part of capitalists that what the business is, is a part of a larger uh, system. It's a, a larger ecosphere. Mm-hmm. And it's just a subset. It's a small piece of a much larger uh, uh, system. And anything that the uh, business is doing is impacted by and has impact on the rest of the system. Mm-hmm. Conscious capitalism is a, a treatise about becoming aware of that fact and becoming more aware of what that impact likely is out there and then looking for ways to begin to mitigate it or uh, enhance it if it's if it's positive um the book conscious capitalism you know like i said is it was was written in terms of uh increasing awareness mm-hmm. awareness is important because it increases choices i see different choices in front of me that i was blind to before i became more awake i guess yeah. would be one way of saying it Compassionate capitalism is the behavioral analog. It's the behavior that's associated with that increase in awareness. Do I, in fact, behave in a way that recognizes that connection that mm-hmm. you know, allows for doing of no harm or minimal uh, negative impact as I, as, I, as I move myself forward? So back to the original question here, are there some exemplars? Are there some examples of leaders that uh, are actually doing this? Um, yes, there are. Um, Kip Tendall, uh, who is the CEO and founder of Container Store, is the current uh, uh, head of, or the leader of, the CEO of uh, Conscious Capitalism. Yeah, Kip's business ethos uh, and how he built the Container Store, multi-multi-billion dollar organization, right. was steeped in making sure that anybody that was coming into, connect, you know, into contact with uh, the Container Store, its products, its services, its people, uh, actually had uh, an experience of benefit. They were uplifted. And that included not just the customers, most obviously, but yeah. it also included vendors. It included people that worked you know, for the organization, the, the employees. Uh, and, and that has been a, um, a, uh, a touchstone uh, for Kip as he's built his business. Um, I think Howard Schultz is a good example, and I actually mentioned Howard in uh, in my book, uh, Compassionate Capitalism. Yeah. Uh, the way that they have worked in developing Starbucks, I've worked um, as a consultant to Starbucks for about five years, and they genuinely care about the experience that people mm-hmm. have, not just the consumer drinking a cup of coffee, yeah. but the farmer that is actually producing the seeds that get roasted that produce the coffee that you end up drinking at the end of the day and and it it translates into um some very interesting business metrics um yeah 
Starbucks works with something that's called employee engagement as a metric. Are people emotionally engaged in what they're doing? Do they, and this is to the point that you made a little bit earlier in your uh, opening. Yeah, you know, people you know, don't want to come to work. They they look forward to the weekend. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, you know, Starbucks is an enormously large organization, <clears throat> you know, close to 100,000 people uh, in the organization. So you're not going to get everybody. But the idea here is that we pay attention to that. Do people feel engaged, emotionally connected to what they're doing? And people feel emotionally connected to what they're doing when they have an opportunity to link what they're doing from a business standpoint to what's important to them personally. What do I get to be, do, or have as a consequence of working here, doing this job? And that's important. So Howard, I think, has done a pretty good job of keeping that in place. Um, there, you know, Jim Senegal at Costco uh, was also another example. Richard Branson, I love Richard. Uh, yeah. Just some of the work that he's done uh, with his Virgin groups. They are extraordinarily successful in large part because they pay attention to the ecosystem that they're okay. a part of. So there are, you know, those are some of the high profile examples. And then there are you know hundreds and hundreds that I can say, you know, actually, and I've you know, actually worked with uh, small and business, you know, small and mid-sized business owners that are doing the same sorts of things. They're paying attention to something other than just the business of the business. Mm -hmm. They're paying attention to the mission of the business as well. Got it. So thanks a lot for sharing. And by the way, if I'm looking down, it's just I'm noting, jotting down some notes. Uh, but, you know, so many things that you're sharing so far, which I'm sure our listeners, especially those who are business owners or maybe managers or directors at their own companies are taking yeah. note and realizing uh, that uh, a business is not just uh, for profits, but it's all about understanding the impact that it's able to create, not just on its customers, but also on its employees, on its suppliers, and every person, individual that's part of the chain, which is awesome. You brought out the example of Howard Schultz. I spent a lot of time at Starbucks and I realized that <laughs> the employees there are really happy. And it's not just obviously about the money that they make, but it's also about the fact that they realize that they themselves, the values like you've shared, that they embody, that they have within are in alignment with the company with the type of impact that the company is making and the company is making an impact. Uh, so thanks a lot for bringing this into light. And also you spoke about Richard Branson and the, uh, the, the, the mindset that he has of uh, positively impacting the ecosystem, the environment, not just the company. So, so this is a wonderful conversation. And in fact, if I might say one of my favorite conversations, because I can relate to some of the challenges that entrepreneurs or small businesses, small business owners face. Now you've mentioned, in your book that uh, uh, business is nothing less than a spiritual discipline, right? So a lot, a lot of people face that, feel that, you know, you have spirituality, your personal journey, and then you have business, but you sort of say that business is nothing less than a spiritual discipline. So talk to us about that. <laughs> yeah, I've actually developed a program. I just actually did the program, uh, the, the, uh, the inaugural launch of it in Japan okay. uh, <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago. And you know, business as a spiritual discipline. And the idea there is that <clears throat> everything does have a soul. And, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, sure. And I say soul not in a religious sense, uh, but soul in a life-giving sense. And this goes back to the rainforest. I mean, nature is alive. Everything in nature is alive. Everything in the universe right. lives. So business is no different. It is alive. When we go to work, 
<clears throat> most people have the experience of not being alive. They go to work and they become automatons. <laughs> and you know, being very broad and very general here. Yeah. Business is a spiritual discipline. If I'm a business leader, business owner, a director, a manager, or even employee, it gives me an environment to continuously confront the question of how do I be alive? How do yeah. I how do I connect to aliveness as a as a birthright? Uh, and there is a, a, a fundamental phenomena I think that happens when people approach anything from a spiritual point of view. And it has to do with the nature of aliveness, which is growth. Mm -hmm. Nature seeks growth. Aliveness seeks growth. Spirit seeks growth and expression. So if in a business, and, and, I, and, and I use business as probably the, the, the greatest example of this because it's the most pervasive force on the planet. I mean, there is nothing on this planet that is not touched by the activities of business in some yep. way, shape, or form. Everything is touched by it. Uh, the air that we breathe, the water that we drink, you know, the clothing, obviously, that we wear, the food that we eat, all were impacted by a business activity or actually, more precisely, a whole confluence of businesses' activities. Yeah. So from a spiritual discipline, part of, the dis part of the spirituality of this is recognizing that that aliveness has ripple. You know, that there's a connection. So am I making decisions in the spirit of connection and enhancing the, you know, the quality of living you know, downstream as well as immediately? Um, and there's a discipline to that. So I have to be practicing uh, in a way that allows for me to consistently do that because the environment, the business the business of the business can you know, begin to conspire to constrain my th my thinking around that. There's a tipping point that happens in almost, well, not almost, uh, literally in every business where the business started out with a mission in mind and it needed, the mission needed a business to deliver it. You know, there needed to be some mechanism to, to put that mission out into the world. Um, you know, Starbucks, they, you know, we wanted to have a special place for people to sit and, and, and commune and, and drink coffee. And coffee became the mechanism by which that happens. Yep. So every business has that sort of dynamic. What goes on is at, there's an inflection point when the business becomes viable. It actually is successful. Mm -hmm. There is a shift in mentality. Oftentimes it occurs where we start paying attention not to the mission and the quality of the mission as it's being delivered, but we start paying attention to the business and the quality of the business Mm -hmm. And it's a it's a slow little creep, but over time the business of the business becomes more important than the mission, oh. and it, and we move from being a mission with a business as a delivery mechanism to becoming a business with a mission as an afterthought. And if we continue down that path, it's just a business for the sake of business. And this is where capitalism went off the rails. It became a business with a with a focus on the business. Uh, not on value creation and value creation in the sense of um, the value that gets created is people feeling more alive, the ecosystem being more alive. So the discipline piece on that is continuing to make decisions in the face of pushback that are mission facing their mission first. And it, it's, it, it can be a 5149 mix, mm -hmm. but it, the mission has to be in front and that's the mission taps into spirit, always taps into spirit.
Wonderful. I love that response. And when you said that, what came to my mind was uh, Joseph Campbell, the author of The Power of Myth. And what he wrote extensively, uh, what he said extensively was that uh, probably what we're seeking is not just meaning, but we are seeking the experience of being alive. And it speaks yes. to your point as well. It's not just meaning, but it's also about realizing that as a leader, you're having some impact on the communities around you. You want people to grow, not just your customers, but your employees as well. And in doing so, identifying opportunities for growth, but also realizing that you got to come back to the basics, which is the mission, not just the benefit to the business but you know why you're doing what you're doing so this is this is really powerful uh, and a lot of what you do is also train and bring out the leader in a leader right so according to you mm -hmm. what are some essential traits of of leader <laughs> great question uh actually my professional career uh has been organized around and, and uh, pointed towards leadership development uh, yeah yeah, I, yeah, example, I, I mean, I led, um, developed and led a, a good component of Nokia, you know, the, the, mm -hmm. you know, the large telephone organization. Yeah. Uh, I led their leadership initiative for about 12 years as an external consultant globally and ended up training you know, close to you know, 3,000, uh, a little bit more than that of their, you know, of their leaders. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've been interested in leadership, you know, probably since I could uh, you know, put my first pair of shoes on. <laughs> I wanted to take charge of my sisters. Uh, yes. So <laughs> that sort of thing. <laughs> so the question of traits, um, you know, in the work that I do, I mean, part of this is predicated on how you define a leader. First mm -hmm. of all, I mean, strip away all the, the characteristics, uh, personality characteristics of who we think leaders are. Yeah, you know, so we can, you know, when we can think of Mahatma Gandhi and we see, you know, see and experience in our minds a certain characteristic, behavioral characteristic, personality. We could also mm -hmm. think of uh, uh, Adolf Hitler as an example. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely a leader, but there's there are some traits and, and characteristics here that. I, you, you know, most people wouldn't want to emulate, yeah. um, but they were both effective at one thing and they were both effective at causing movement. Mm -hmm. And that's what a leader does. When you strip away all of the, you know, literally all of the artifice, the, the good, bad, the value judgment about it, what leaders do is they cause movement. Mm -hmm. And that definition becomes really important because by definition, you and I, each one of your listeners are always causing movement in the systems of which we are a part. The minute we show up, the system has to adjust to our presence. Mm -hmm. So we're causing movement day in and day out. So we are all leaders. Now we don't have role, we don't have title, we don't have position perhaps, but we yeah. are leaders because we are causing movement. So the, the question that I, that I literally deal with, and this goes to what are the characteristics and traits, uh, is our, yeah, 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 is the movement I'm causing effective? Mm -hmm. And by effective, I mean, am I causing movement in service of an outcome that I value? Am I causing movement in, in service of a result that I'd like to produce? And that movement, you know, that effectiveness is really where we start breaking things down in terms of leadership education and leadership development. What does it take to be effective as a leader? Now, on the extreme, I can have a, you know, a reward punishment system, you know, which is right. probably pretty basic, big pot of money, big stick. I can get people to move, uh, but you take the stick and the, uh, the, the reward system away and 
people will kind of go back to neutral in one sense. Yeah. Um, the problem with big stick, you know, um, high reward structures and, and uh, mechanisms is that they're not elegant. And then I use that word real precisely. Elegant, if, if I think about you know, software coding, you know, writing software code, Elegant code is code that does what it's intended to do without unintended consequences. And so as a leader, part of my uh, effectiveness is determined by how elegant that movement is. So we ended up, uh, after a, a lot of internal consideration, defining what leadership actually is. And the way that we define it, you know, leaders cause movement. But leadership is the activity of co-creating coordinated movement in the system that produces the results that we need. So there's two pieces to this, co-creation and coordinated movement. That's where we start looking at what traits and characteristics need to be taught, what need to be learned, what need to be actually integrated in order to be elegant in causing movement. Co-creation has its own subset of uh, uh, characteristics or, or, or yep. behaviors that we pay attention to. Uh, and then coordinated movement uh, has another little subset that comes into play here. So co-creation in part has to do with awareness. Mm -hmm. uh, the choices that I have, and this, these aren't discrete. They, they actually kind of spill over on each other. Yeah. But the net of it is that we've come up with, or I've come up with basically five uh, competencies or do, uh, domains that effective leadership is developed within. Awareness is is the first one. It opens the door to everything. And awareness, yeah, is is fundamental. Consciousness is everything. Everything is a function of consciousness. And awareness allows me to recognize where my consciousness is. What am I paying attention to? Mm -hmm. And that sort of thing. So awareness, context, defining an effective context. And the contextual framing is what provides meaning to what it is that we do. I can say, here's a list of five items. I'd like you to rank order them. And if I don't give you a context, it's real difficult for you to rank order in any meaningful way those five items. So context comes out is, is, is a fundamental piece that needs to be paid attention to. And then there is communication mastery. Most people are accidental communicators. Right. Uh, communication is what is used to cause movement and not just talking. There's a whole dynamic that comes into play when we're looking at mastery of the communication process. So that's, that's a major piece that we, that we pay a lot of attention to. Um, how you go about uh, establishing trust. Uh, Everything, simply, all an organization is, uh, is a collection of people that are in relationship. That's all any organization is, a family system or a, a huge inter multina you know, multinational organization, just a collection of people that are in relationship. They're in relationship, obviously, with each other, but they're also in relationship with values. They're in relationship with goals and objectives. They're in relationship with mission. They're in relationship with the chairs that they sit in. Yeah. And if all of these relationships are working well, you got a pretty good shot at being successful. If the relationships start going off the rails, things get a little squirrely. Mm. Relationships are grounded in trust. Do I trust that the chair is going to hold me up if I sit in it? If I've got any question about trust, I'm probably not going to approach this chair that I'm sitting in with the same kind of freedom, the same kind of yeah, uh, 
a, a spree, if you will, uh, if I didn't trust it. So trust, how do you, how do you, how do you build it? How do you create it? What is it? Mm -hmm. uh, for you, trust is going to mean something. For me, it's going to mean something else. So mm -hmm. what are the, you know, so we start breaking that down. So awareness, context, communication, mastery, trust. And the last piece has to do with commitment. And commitment is another way of saying ownership. Right. Yeah. Has ownership, and this is part of the co-creation, has ownership actually transferred from it being my idea to it's now our idea? And how do I achieve that? So those are the five that we actually work with. And, you know, all of my executive coaching, all of my team coaching uh, is organized around those, those five dimensions in some way. One and of those great principles here. Yeah. The, the rainforest <laughs> does the same stuff. Yeah. You know, the rainforest is exactly doing the same thing. Action Tribe, these days I wake up at 5 a.m. It's a beautiful experience. I go for my jog, do some meditation, read for about 10 minutes, and then relax to my hot cup of mushroom cacao mix by Four Sigmatic. And honestly, this beverage is a wonderful way to begin your day because it contains the goodness of reishi mushrooms, which is amazing for reducing stress and helping you relax. And it's made with pure Peruvian cacao, which is great for calming your heart. And it contains a beautiful blend of cinnamon and cardamom that's so tasty and healthy and clean because it contains organic non-GMO and it's free from fillers and carriers. Uh, now, it's really convenient because all you have to do is just mix it with hot water and don't be worried about your calories because it contains just 25 calories per serving. So I highly recommend that you try it out, especially if you're building your morning or your evening routine because they've extended a really special offer for all of Action Tribe. Receive 15% off your Four Sigmatic purchase. Go to foursigmatic.com forward slash Action Tribe or use discount code Action Tribe at checkout. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com forward slash A-C-T-I-O-N-T-R-I-B-E foursigmatic.com forward slash Action Tribe or use discount code Action Tribe at checkout. So there you go, Action Tribe. I mean, we are learning some really powerful principles here. And especially if you're a leader in some capacity, whether it's in your organization or even at home in an informal level, just think about how your life would change if you had more awareness about your situation. You're able to communicate at a much more effective level. You're able to gain, garner the trust and the uh, likability from those who follow you or those in your community in an authentic way. And also... People who are in your movement know the context and feel like they are part owners in the movement and that they're helping to co-create. So this is some powerful, powerful stuff right here being shared by Blaine uh, with us. Now, Blaine, you talk about the uh, persona or the archetype of the merchant priest, right? So what exactly is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. First of all, the word priest, um, is ancient Greek is the origin of it. And it meant elder. It, it didn't have a religious connotation. Okay. Uh, the word priest in this sense uh, is an elder that has got some experience. You know, I mean, in today's vernacular, we'd probably call them a mentor. Yeah. Something oh, okay. like that. Um, yeah. Somebody that has been through uh, the, the journey and yeah. can actually speak to what's ahead. What can you, you know, learn from where you are, that sort of stuff. So the merchant priest mm -hmm. And this goes to the notion of uh, business being a spiritual discipline, 
The merchant priest is somebody that is taking on the mantle of uh, education, keeping keeping the okay. highest good in um, the focal point of the business as it as it actually moves forward. And, and again, yeah, Howard Schultz, Richard Branson, um, Jim Senegal, uh, retired CEO over at Costco. I mean, yeah, Kip Tindall. Um, these sorts of people uh, are who I would consider to, to be merchant priests. A fellow that I work with at the World Business Academy, think tank that's been around for about 35 years. I'm on the board yep. of directors. Uh, Ronaldo Brutico um, uh, is certainly a uh, what I would consider a merchant priest. Yeah, he has uh, single-handedly, in one sense, and I and I and I love Ronaldo. He's one of my best friends. Was the catalyst in a yeah? He had he was having a conversation with Deepak Deepak Chopra. Uh, and, and Ronaldo was actually uh, the head of Deepak's foundation for a number of years. Um, was having a conversation about how do we change the way business operates? Well, anybody that is in business knows that what, what gets measured is what gets paid attention to. Yeah. So the, the, the conversation got organized around, well, why don't we change the business metrics, what people are paying attention to? Right. That became a whole movement that is now called Just Capital. Just and, capital, you know, we're just capital, mm -hmm. and it's a whole um, spectrum of measurements that are designed to say these businesses are just businesses. I mean, just in the sense of justice, um, they are doing work in the world that are taking into account in, in ways that are taking into account social responsibility, uh, income uh, disparity. Uh, yeah, ecological uh, stewardship. I mean, just, you know, so there's a whole list of things that we developed mm -hmm. uh, and we spent about two and a half years, in, you know, developing the algorithms and, and actually vetting, how do we measure this? Yeah, how do we actually measure this so that it, so that it's bulletproof? Right. Um, and it's designed to replace the Fortune 100 list, which is a traditional measure of business from a profit, return on investment, uh, standard, typical business metrics. Um, the just capital takes into account things like love. Yeah, you know, how does love show up? Not not oh, I love you, but love from the sense of uh, uh, the agape uh, sense that we are all connected. That what uh, what we do as a business impacts what you are as an individual, and what you are as a plant, what you are as an ocean. That, that sort of I love it. Yeah, I mentioned Raj Sisodia. Um, co-author of uh, Conscious Capitalism. The book that he wrote uh, before Conscious Capitalism was a book, and I love the title of this book. It was called Firms of Endearment. Mm. Firms of Endearment. And what he did was he looked at, uh, is love, is care, is uh, compassion, uh, is connection, you know, these values, um, are, they, are they viable as a business value? And he identified companies that he considered to be firms of endearment. And these were some pretty interesting companies. BMW you know, came into the mix. Starbucks was in the mix. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and they compared them to, and it was, it was an interesting comparison. Um, the S&P index, the Standard & Poor's index, you know, is, is used as the bell mark, uh, bellwether mark for a lot of you know, business comparisons when we start looking at different models. Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, which was the biggest selling business book of the 20th century, um, said these are the great companies. These are, these are companies that went from good to great, and these are who you, who you should emulate. And and he used the S and P to you know, measure the difference between these great companies and the good companies compared to the S and P. 
Uh, and there was an improvement. There was a significant improvement in the great companies compared to S&P's performance. The firms of endearment outperformed the good to great companies by a level, I think it was about 10 and a half to one. Mm. They, I mean, these organizations were paying attention to these values, these soft, squishy, non-traditional business values completely outperformed the S&P index, completely outperformed the good to great companies. And these are the companies that, you know, began to be uh, considered as a vanguard of a new way of doing business. So I forget what your original question was on this, but <laughs> I will tend to go down rabbit holes sometimes. I get really passionate about some of this stuff. There are ways to measure things that change the way that things are done. And um, the merchant priest, that's where we were at. The yeah. merchant priest does, they bring these sorts of conversations into uh, into the uh, uh, the business uh, environment. I mean, Howard Schultz going racial equality. You know, I mean, what business leader brings conversations of racial equality into mm -hmm. the coffee shop that they, you know, I mean, people thought he was crazy to do mm -hmm. that. But a merchant priest will do that because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Tim Cook over at Apple going, you know, we're not, we're, we're investing in green and shareholders that don't like that don't need to invest with us. Right. Business leaders don't do that typically. Mm. These are people that have a sensibility of we're all connected. It's all relationship. And that's a huge difference. That's what the rainforest teaches us. Absolutely. And, uh, so, so many powerful things coming up uh, right now. Thanks a lot for sharing. Uh, I mean, it's just uh, amazing to note, um, you know, all these companies we hear stories of where, you know, it was run one way and then somebody else comes in, a new CEO who sort of emulates, like you've mentioned, the qualities of being a priest, of being an educator, of being a guide and sort of steers the company in a completely new direction. And everyone automatically falls behind them because they chose to be followers, not ordered to be followers. And they feel great that they're part of something that is larger than themselves. Now, the question that I have is, what's the difference between the application of uh, these principles of compassionate capitalism to small large corporations? Uh, because they're in a way different, right? Is there any difference? Because many of our listeners might be owners of small businesses, which could be like a, a yoga studio or maybe uh, another sort of small business that has an impact mainly in the communities and in the cities around them. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the primary difference uh, is one of scale more than right. anything else. It's actually going to be far more difficult to execute on some of these uh, compassionate capitalism and conscious capitalism uh, um, tenants in a much larger organization, but if you can do it, the impact is is appropriately you know, more significant. Um, Mid-sized companies, small you know, small companies, businesses uh, have a lot that they can do in this regard. Um, yeah, in my podcast, "The Soul of Business" with Blaine Bartlett, yeah, I will typically interview small business owners or mid-sized oh, business okay. owners, and and a lot of the conversation is literally about how do you bring the soul of your business into the forefront of what you're doing and how do you mm. keep it there? Um, so this is where, I mean, the, the, uh, the business owner or the business leader of a small organization has got a significant advantage uh, mm. over a large enterprise uh, system in that 
they are the face of typically, they are the face of uh, their business and how they show up. And this goes you know, back to the question of communication mastery in one point. Mm -hmm. How do I show up as an example of what I want to have happen with my organization and what my, how do I show up as an example of what my organization is capable of doing from a social responsibility perspective? It's not just the business of having somebody sit in the yoga studio. Mm -hmm. It's more about do I, well, here's a great example. Uh, my hairstylist, um, I actually had them on the show uh, some time ago. Okay. And um, most people look at the hair salon and they go, haircuts, that's what they do, beauty, yeah. that's what they do. Well, right. they are, and, and this was in LA, uh, they were the first salon to go green in the entire wow. LA area. And they did it out of a sense of social responsibility. The fashion industry, the beauty industry in particular, is the second greatest polluter on the planet. Not many people really realize that, mm -hmm. but they are the second greatest polluter on the planet. You know, the dyes, the uh, the tubes that get thrown away. I mean, there's just a lot of things that get thrown away mm -hmm. in pursuit of beauty um, and and actually get wasted in pursuit of beauty. So what they did was they uh, basically said, we're, gonna, we're not going to do that. You know, we're going to find a way to go green. You know, the dyes are recycled, uh, the, 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 the tubes, you know, everything gets recycled, even the hair that's cut gets recycled you know, wow. into uh, uh, oil blotters, you know, for use. You know, I mean, there, there's all kinds of things. So not only that, but then the ethos of the organization, they give haircuts. I mean, that's basically what they do. I, and so I made that comment and, and Jason Lara, who was one of the founders, uh, said, yeah. no, we don't, we don't give haircuts. What we do is we inspire laughter. What we do is we inspire joy. That's what we do. Mm. Now, haircut is the mechanism, but the, our product is joy. And if people don't walk out of here joyful, we, we did something wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's that little change in mindset that actually in, uh, influences how the business is run. The people that they hire, you know, the, the, the salon or the stylist that they take on, and, and it's a pretty, for a hair salon, it's a pretty large size organization. Yeah. Um, they are very selective with who they bring on. And it's the same thing with Starbucks. Uh, and to go to another scale here, but I remember you know speaking with one of the uh, 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 store managers uh, yeah. when I was doing some work with him and talking about you know, how, you know employee you know getting hiring people, and she kind of went, oh, you know it's it's so difficult. I'm going well, what, you're having a problem. She says, yes, I am. I, I, there's a barista slot that I need to fill, and I said, well, yeah. do you have applications? She says, yeah, I've got about seventy five applications, and I went, well, what's the problem? She said, I can't find the right kind of person. I can teach anybody how to make coffee, mm -hmm. but I cannot teach somebody how to engage with a customer in a mm -hmm. way that lets the customer walk out of here going, God, that was good. That's something I'm hiring for. I'm hiring for that quality. That's a function of consciousness. That's a function of an awareness about who we are as a business mm -hmm. that permeates everything that we do. It's not just about, you know, Clicking the, you know, the the uh, uh, computer and, and and having somebody sign off, you know, for the four ninety five for the coffee. That, that's yep. not it. It's it's something completely different. So as a business owner, small business owner, there's a lot of leverage that I have, much more so than I do in a large enterprise, to make that kind of a difference. Yeah. So to the listeners that you have that are you know actually um, in smaller businesses, you know, mid sized businesses. 
an invitation I would have is uh, to, to really think about what is the business you're in? What is it that mm -hmm. you're really delivering? Yeah, it may be a yoga class, but that's that's the delivery mechanism for something else. Mm. Yeah. yeah, how do you make how do you make money? What's your economic engine? Um, right. Apple sells computers as an example, but their economic engine is not selling computers. Their economic yep. engine is customer delight, the end user feeling wow. Right. Yeah. That that's the economic engine. That's why yeah. you have Apple fanboys. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, it's so easy to forget in a business, you know, you we get so caught on to the delivery mechanism, whether it's, uh, you know, yoga or whether it's balancing the chakras or whether it's cutting hair, but it's not about the delivery mechanism. We got to keep reminding ourselves that we're, it's the outcome that we're trying to deliver, right? What is the outcome? Yeah. How are we changing their lives the outcome? Our, outside of elegant? the delivery mechanism? Mm. Absolutely. Is it elegant? Is it inspiring? Is it uplifting? Does it enhance and improve the experience of being alive on this planet? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now the next question I have is, you know, about a very uh, important part of a business. Um, and the thing is that, you know, things are challenging nowadays, right? Especially if a business was has been there for the last 10 years, the real estate prices are increasing. Employees are leaving from one job to the other. Uh, with the advent of the internet, especially for traditional businesses, it's becoming difficult to compete in the marketplace. And so there's a lot of change happening. So how does a business that's based on these principles, compassionate capitalism, how does such a business handle a crisis situation? I'd, I'd go back to the rainforest. It's a regenerative uh, system. Um, I don't have control over macroeconomic situations. I mean, the, the, the macroeconomic world is going to do what it's going to do out there. You know, global trade imbalances, uh, you get a trade war going on because some, uh, you know, I won't go down that road. Uh, but, you know, we, we start doing some things here that as a business owner, as a small business owner in particular, mid-sized business owner, I don't have any control over. What I do have control over, however, is how I respond to what's going mm -hmm. on. And it's that response. Um, if, if I mean, an, an example here, um, if we go back to 2008, Charles Schwab, the invest, investment firm. Yeah. They were you know, not unlike other investment firms in that period of time. They had to make some pretty hard business decisions right. to keep the business going in order to continue to deliver on what their brand promise was, which you know, has to do with, Investment freedom for I mean they're, they're, I, I can uh, and I don't want to dig out right now what their what their brand promise is from a value perspective, but what they did was something really interesting. Instead mm -hmm. of just laying people off, and it wasn't it was about a force reduction. How you know we we've got to cut headcounts. Yeah. So um, they did something that was really interesting and really unique, and I actually talk about this in the book when they furloughed people or when they actually came to the point where they had to let people go. What they did was they gave them stock options. And the idea was these are the people that are being most directly impacted by this macroeconomic uh, situation right now. They're being most directly impacted by the business choice that we are having to make right now. They shouldn't have to bear the full brunt of it. We're making this decision so that the business can have a firm footing and can turn around when the environment begins to shift. They should benefit. If they're having to pay the price now, they should have some upside on this. Mm -hmm. So they actually gave stock options 
to the folks that they let go with the promise that if the business turns around, you will reap a reward from, you know, for that. Yeah. Stuff happens. I mean, you know, life just kind of does what it does. And sometimes I get smacked alongside the head. It's how yeah. I consciously and compassionately respond that makes the difference. Yeah. You know, nothing in and of itself is bad. It's only my thinking that makes it bad. If I think it's bad, then you know, I get contractive. I start getting, you know, there's all kinds of dynamics that come into play. <clears throat> this is why you know, awareness becomes so important. Energy follows attention. Mm -hmm. So if my attention is going to, oh my God, we're going to die. Um, it, there's a physiologically, and, and this is true with the individual, but it's also true with the business. The energy is a contractive energy. It's a defensive energy. It's a, uh, of protective energy mm -hmm. and it's exclusionary it's yeah. an exclusionary energy i'm going to pause for just a moment it looks okay uh, it looked like my internet connection had dropped here uh okay. evidently not okay um so i want to be in a position and this is where the merchant priest uh, has a duty in one sense keep the focus on an uplifting conversation not a downward spiraling conversation we have to do things to survive, but are we going to do things that are in service of thriving eventually? Mm -hmm. Or are we doing things just to, you know, so that we can live as long as we can in a bad situation? I don't want to do things that allow me to just live as long as I can in a bad situation. I want to do things that get me out of a bad situation as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. And that's a focus on thriving. So mm -hmm. I may have to reduce headcount as an example, but can I do it in a way that has an upside right. uh, built into it? And that's a different style of thinking. That's a spiritual discipline. It's recognizing that everything is connected, mm. and it forces a different. Uh, I mean, it forces a different thinking, and it uncovers a different solution set. Typically, wow, that's wonderful. I mean, that's a great example of uh, firstly thinking outside of the box, but not only that, considering your employees a part of your company, whether or not with their working at the company, uh, which in this case is that you're leaving the company, but we want to make you part owners by giving you the stock options uh, and uh, showing that sense of intention and giving them the attention that they so deserve. So thanks a lot for sharing. And I love the language that you use in your book because it's sort of when you speak about leaders, you use the same language that you would use for a healer because you say that one of the roles of a leader is to maintain a high level of vibration and to then sort of transmit that vibration right to the company through resonance yep. right so how do you because you spoke about the research that deepak chopra and the other gentlemen conducted to go away from these common metrics of uh, profit and uh, roi but talk about other sort of metrics right so my question is how do you assess the level of vibration of your company to ensure that everything is going fine and to and is going according to that plan you know from time to time on a weekly yeah. or a quarterly basis to sort of check in what sort of metrics would such a person or a individual or a, or a leader use Boy, what kind of metrics? That's interesting because, you know. Uh, not a metric, well, but just a checking point. You know, I'm, uh, I'm not checking. Sure. A checking point, yeah. 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 Well, one, one is, yeah, uh, <laughs> from a leadership perspective, and then I'll talk about this from a business perspective. Or actually, sure, I'll talk sure. about a business perspective first. Okay. Uh, you walk into a business, and it, and it has a certain feel to it. I walk mm -hmm. into a restaurant, or I walk into a dry cleaner, or I walk into a grocery store. Yeah. Uh, it has a feel to it. 
if I'm paying attention. It it yeah. it, it feels invitational, or it yeah. feels like there's something off. Yeah. And we all have this built-in, you know, literally, I'm going to excuse my French here, but it's a built-in bullshit detector. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really is. That's uh, true. Uh, United Airlines for years has had the tagline, uh, fly the friendly skies, but you walk into one of these airliners and you've got cramped seats, you've got surly attendants, you've got, and it's kind of like, this does not feel like the friendly skies. Yeah. Feelings are, emotions are our barometer to spiritual vibration. Yeah. That's what, that's what our emotions are. It's how we calibrate what's going on in the unseen, so to speak. We have this feeling. Uh, so I want to be able to pay attention to that. So that's yeah. at the business level, you know, of, of just walking into an enterprise. And as you walk in, yeah, does it feel uh, like a place that you want to be? If it is, something's probably working fairly well here. People are paying yeah. attention to usually the right things. Yeah. Uh, as a leader, uh, and again, leader, I don't mean just a titled leader, but I mean anybody that's causing movement in a system, which is everybody. A question that you can lead with in your mind is, how do people feel about themselves when they're around me? Mm, okay. How do people feel about themselves when they're in my presence? Do they feel uplifted? Do they feel shamed? Do they feel judged? Do they feel inspired? Do they feel, I mean, you fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. I am a, I'm a massive energy. That's all I am. I mean, it looks like I have a body, but this body is energy. That's all it is. It's body. It's energy in a, in a, in a uh, reduced vibrational format so that, or you know, level so that it actually materializes. I mean, energy, you know, Einstein said there, you know, there is no such thing as energy uh, or matter. There's no such thing as matter, uh, matter. It's just energy that's been reduced to the point where we can perceive it with our senses. That's all, that's all we are is, is energy. Yeah. So as energy, we are continually, you know, continuously and continually moving through systems and having impact. Our movement, before we open our mouth, people start responding to us. Before we open our mouth and start talking, people are beginning to move towards us or away from us. Mm-hmm. So from a leadership perspective, you know, I go back to co-creating coordinated movement. Am I, yeah. Am I inviting people to come in? Do people feel uplifted? Are they are they wanting to co-create with me? All of this is happening in a microsecond. People are making determinations. And the same is true with a business. I walk in, do I want to co-create with this business? If I do, I'll give them my money. If not, eh, my money won't be so happy. Uh, <laughs> I'll give it to them, but it's not going to be a, it's not going to be a joyous experience. Got it. And joy is a calibration of of that. I think that would be one way to think about it. Uh, joy is an is is an inter- joy is an expression of an internal vibration. I can't make somebody happy, but I can create an environment where joy has room to move, mm-hmm. where joy has room to express, and that is what we're about as businesses. Yeah, firms of endearment. Do people feel? Like they can be joyful in the presence of my service or product. Got it. Well, thanks a lot for sharing Action Tribe, especially if you are a leader in some capacity or a business owner 
or an entrepreneur or somebody who's going to start a business, here are a couple of questions that you can ask. And I think this is a wonderful uh, thing that you've shared with us. So especially if you're entering your establishment or your business, sort of uh, check in with your gut or with your intuition and get to know the vibe that you're experiencing. Don't disregard your vibe. Get in touch with it. Uh, get in touch with your built-in BS detector and find out how <laughs> things are. And number two is when you're having these conversations, check in with yourself and ask yourself, how do you make people feel about themselves? And I think this is a powerful question because I forget I forgot who sh- uh, said this, but somebody says people forget what you might tell them, but they don't forget how you make them feel. They remember that. And I, mm-hmm. I can recall back to the good encounters that I've had. Uh, sometimes you tend to forget the details of what exactly you spoke, but you'll always remember the emotions that you felt as a result of having spoken with that individual or that leader or that friend. So really powerful yeah. uh, things uh, that we're learning on today's episode today. Now, the next question is a personal question that I have. Uh, you know, you you write that one of the things leaders do is design the future through our expectations and our conduct. We do it through articulating possibilities that we envision. We do this by creating a reality distortion field that captures people's imaginations, their yearnings, mm-hmm. and their aspirations. And then we organize conversations and we coordinate behaviors. Right. So let's say I'd like to implement this concept some more what should i be doing more of uh, to grow my movement of you know my seven chakras in addition to having interviews with people like you on this podcast uh, what is it one activity that will sort of help me move the needle forward in terms of uh, designing the future and articulating the ideas that i have so that i can rally people towards a common vision i'm not sure if i was clear enough but you know any thoughts of that would really be well. Yeah, let me take a uh, take a shot at uh, answering here. Um, yeah. What what you're uh, partly what you're speaking to is the play of the imagination. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Carl Jung, you know, the philosopher, said that without the play of the imagination, nothing of substance ever came into being. Mm-hmm. So the imagination becomes absolutely crucial in this. And as far as I can tell, the imagination lives at the threshold of spirit. Mm-hmm. So the pragmatic answer in part here has to do with finding ways to quiet my mind long enough that spirit can begin to speak. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, the average person has about 87,000 87, thoughts a day. Right. I mean, it's just like popcorn. It's just, you know, it's just going off all the time. And yeah. every now and then, if I'm, if I'm really kind of settled in, one of them will go, it'll be brighter than the other. And go, oh, yep. And I drop it in to my consciousness and it becomes an idea. Mm. And I start going, hmm, there's some possibilities here. Right. And that's, I start giving energy to it. You know, energy follows attention. So I start paying attention to this idea. And this idea starts to grow in my mind. A leader's job in part is to move possibility into probability. Right. So we, we do that with our intention and our attention. Right. So when imagination comes into play, the shortest way to stop it or the quickest way to stop it is to pay attention to the question, how? Yeah, how would I do this? Oh. I never worry about the how. Okay. Literally. I want to I nurture the idea 
without going, well, God, I'm going to need to get some money. Don't worry about the money. What would it look like? How would it be? You know, I say, how would it be? You know, if, if it had the fullness of expression, what form does it begin to take? What are the aspects of it? How does it, you know, how, how does it begin to actually, you know, evolve? An example of this, um, my wife and I, you know, we spent about two and a half years uh, redesigning a home, uh, okay. the, the place that I'm in right now. And the question we played with in the entire process was, what would we love? And this is a question that you know, kicks in the imagination. Yeah. What would we love? We didn't talk about what could we afford. We didn't mm-hmm. talk about um, what made sense. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about from a resale value, what would be, you know, none of that stuff. But we're going to live here. What would we love? And that, that question evoked imagination. Mm-hmm. And then we just started playing with that. And the picture became clearer and clearer and clearer. And as the picture became clearer, it became more you know, possibility. It started feeling more probable. Again, we hadn't started addressing the question how, mm-hmm. you know, but that probability started to set in and it, and it became right. integrated into this. You know, this is the reality that I want to live out. Mm-hmm. And then the question of how started to actually you know, gestate. And it, it was interesting. I mean, all you know, the, it, it was effortless. I mean, uh, there's a, you know, I've studied uh, comparative religions uh, a fair amount, yeah. and there's a notion in uh, Sufism that's called effortless efforting. Right. And it's, yeah, and anything that comes into being takes action. You have to do something. You know, again, Einstein, nothing, nothing happens until something moves. Mm-hmm. So we have to take action. But if it's in alignment with my vision, if it's in alignment, and, and I say alignment, it's an integrated whole. Mm-hmm. I have this relationship with uh, it. The effort is effortless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we had to get the bank loans. We had to do all that yeah. stuff. But it, you know, in, in the paper, you know, it was required to me. If anybody that's ever bought a, a home before or got a mortgage, yeah, yeah it's kind of like, really? You want what? <laughs> Are you crazy? <laughs> that, it was, I mean, I, we knew it was coming. It was effortless. I mean, it was there was still effort involved, but the idea here is the experience mm. transformed. Possibility moved to probability. Probability starts to migrate into reality. Mm-hmm. So, from a business perspective, th- you know what I want to do is I want to play with the imagination. This and this is what entrepreneurs do, um, and they 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 get this idea and they can't let go of it. They're like a dog with a bone. And the reality distortion field actually was coined uh, for use with Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Steve would come up with these ideas, and yeah. you know, the world of agreement. You'd look around and go, "There's no way in the hell." You know, that's that's not that's not possible. That's not going to happen. Right. You would get close to Steve. He would start talking about it, and he would talk about it as if it already lived, as if it already existed. It was mm-hmm. already here, and in his experience, and this is the merchant priest. Mm-hmm. He was embodying that ideation. He was embodying that product, that service. It was it was real in him. Mm-hmm. So, from an energetic standpoint, mm-hmm. you begin to believe that it was because in his mind and in his experience, it was in fact real. Mm-hmm. That possibility became a probability while you were in his presence, 
you'd walk away, and this is where the joke said, and people go, God, you know, Steve just told me. And they go, you got caught in his reality distortion field because <laughs> okay. everybody knows that it's not possible. Well, actually, everything that's ever been invented or ever will be invented has already been invented. It already has been. It just hasn't been manifested. Mm. So what entrepreneurs do is they take idea and they make it real. Everything's everything's invented twice. First as an idea, and then secondly as a as a physical form. Everything is invented twice. Idea first, form second, and that formation, that manifestation, is a consequence of embodied idea. It's ideal in motion. Mm-hmm. Got it. So I'm curious. I mean, uh, since you said that you and your wife, uh, before worrying about the how, you sort of uh, co-created and gave some energy to that imagination or that idea that you had to redesign y- your your home, right? So I'm curious. In terms of, did you have like a routine where you know every evening or every morning you would have a conversation, yeah. something like that, or okay? Yeah. Yeah, there was Um, two pieces to this. One is the idea of co-creation. Yeah, Yeah. when people think of co-creation, they think of you and I, you know, individuals. We were co-creating with spirit. Mm. Yeah. So that that was an important that was an important realization for us. I mean, we were we wanted to keep that pathway open. So co-creating with spirit. Mm -hmm. The second piece. um, What happens when big dreams start to move? is that the existing worldview, the paradigm, my belief systems, my value systems, all that sort of stuff kind of jams me and goes, yeah, you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Reality, quote, unquote, crops up. Mm -hmm. Most people will look at current reality as a bellwether or as an indicator of what's possible. Yes. And I never want to be in a position of saying, well, this is what I've got. Here's the numbers in my bank account. I guess I can or I guess I can't. Yeah. Forget that. You work with possibility, integrated. Mm-hmm. Now, the ritual that we engage with, um, there's a philosopher by the name of Thomas Troward. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was uh, lived in the 19th century. Some amazing writings on the spirit of uh, you know, the, the uh, uh, law of attraction, mostly mm-hmm. really around the law of vibration more than anything else. Right. Uh, and he, there was a writing that he put together. It was actually in a group of uh, lectures that he did called the Edinburgh Lectures. Okay. And it was called the spirit of opulence, the Mm. spirit of opulence. And um, what Cynthia and I would do, I mean, we literally did this every night as we we would lay in bed and and we had uh, laminated copies of this art. And it was just a front and a back. It was a short little piece. Yeah. Uh, We would read it to each other. We would read it to each other. Spirit of opulence. And it began to shift our, our paradigm about, money it began to shift our paradigm about what it meant to be uh opulent quote unquote uh around this house so what would we love well we would love the experience of opulence we would love the experience of of abundance we would love the experience i mean all of that stuff so paradigms shift right and this kind of goes full circle here paradigms shift because of one of three things either there's a trauma which I don't recommend. I mean, it requires a complete, complete recalibration of a worldview, death, yeah. you know, something what like that. A fascination uh, is okay. another one. Yeah. An idea drops in and you just can't let go of it. And that mm-hmm. will begin to work with things. The third is repetition. 
Yeah, mm. continual repetition, daily repetition. Yeah, and and that's what you know we were doing was through these readings or through this reading on a ritualized basis. We were uh, repetitionlessly uh, shifting the paradigm uh, about possibility. So possibility started to move into probability. Probability started to migrate into reality. Yeah, mm. and it was a function of that shift in paradigm, and oh. that's how you begin to do this stuff. Yeah, nothing happens until something moves. And one of the major things that needs to move almost always is yeah. the existing paradigm. The existing paradigm. Got it. And what you shared right now, it's sort of very similar to a spiritual awakening, right? I mean, they say that there are yep. three three uh, ways by which you can experience a spiritual awakening. Either it's like a deep trauma, huge loss, yep. grievances. You experience that spiritual awakening. The other one is, uh, you know, awe like an inspiration you see something magnificent that you haven't seen before and the yep. third is repetition so you do like a spiritual practice each and every day you might not see any results or change over a short period but then lo and behold you're already there so thanks a lot for sharing this has been really yeah. really uh useful what is that one action step that you'd like to recommend for listeners who are listening right now based on what you have shared today oh there's so many. Uh, you know, probably the simplest one that can be embraced, and I say simple in the sense that it it, it is something that I can do immediately, but it yep. will take practice to do it well. And that um, is predicated on the notion that awareness is everything. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, an increase in awareness increases my choice-making capacity. So the invitation that I would have for the listeners is to begin to notice what you notice. Mm -hmm. Notice what you're noticing. Um, now, where, where's your energy, uh, where's your attention attracted to? And it may be out of awareness initially, but you just notice that there's this niggling noise somewhere. Huh, I'm, notice what I'm noticing. I'm noticing that background noise over here. Hmm. And then we just kind of go from there. So, yeah, that noticing what I'm noticing is what I want to pay particular attention to. And, and if I'm doing that, you know, religiously uh, or diligently, with discipline, I will begin to notice much about my paradigm. I will begin to notice that some of you know, what I'm paying attention to, I shouldn't be paying attention to any longer. And, and oftentimes it's that little voice inside, that, you know, inside the head that says, go, yeah, yeah, but. I'd like to do this. Yeah, but. I'd like, yeah. Well, where does that voice come from? Yeah, but. Yeah, but what? <laughs> yeah. So pay, yeah, notice what I'm noticing. Thanks a lot for sharing Action Tribe. If you're enjoying this session so far on an iPhone on Apple Podcasts, then make sure that you hit subscribe so that you don't miss out on all the new episodes that we have in store for you. Because if you're not subscribed, you might just miss out on all the amazing content. So hit subscribe. And uh, the gem cannot be polished without friction, nor man perfected without trials. Now, this is an amazing ancient Chinese proverb. Action Tribe, uh, this quote was written, written probably thousands and thousands of years back, but it holds true even today. If you are an action taker, then there's a good chance that you're going through some difficult or challenging moments right now. Sometimes... Uh, they have a way of coming into our lives out of nowhere, right? Maybe you're having a financial challenge or a health issue or a relationship difficulty. And sometimes you might wish uh, to the universe, you know, just take this pain away from me, please. And while it's important to work towards healing and transformation, sometimes it's important to just take a few steps back and look at it from the grand scheme of things. Because if you do, 
you'll realize that even in your struggles, you'll have maybe one or two things to feel grateful for. Uh, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and more importantly, realizing that the universe is actually trying to polish you so that you can discover or find your uh, true realized self. So have some patience and feel grateful. So, Blin, uh, could you talk to us about one challenge or difficulty or difficult circumstance that you went through in your life and how did you come out of it? Oh, <laughs> there, have been, there have been a number of them. Uh, I think, and, and the one that you know, I mean, just pops into my head right now. Um, Ten years ago, my wife died uh, after a long bout of cancer. And um, it, I mean, when I talk about the paradigms shifting, yeah, this, this was a major trauma, uh, obviously. Um, you know, we'd had a, a very uh, wonderful marriage, uh, been together, you know, more than 20 years. Um, and her passing was a big jolt. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> it caused me to really step back and look at how I was living my life in terms of uh, both family, but also in terms of my business. Uh, I mean, this notion of compassionate capitalism, conscious capitalism had been percolating for a while, but the business had gotten successful. I was doing, you know, in, in, our, in our business was doing quite well. We had offices in four countries and in, in Life was working fairly well, and I was fundamentally dissatisfied. Uh, the, 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 this whole notion of toxicity in the in the workplace had been niggling at me for a long time. Um, well, when you know, Pam died, um, I just stopped everything. I mean, I, I, I and, and, and I took literally about three years, you know, two and a half, three years, and just re-examine. I had contracts that were going on and there was you know, stuff that I needed to continue to honor. And I did that. Uh, but in terms of actively setting out to do new things, I didn't want to do it. Uh, so the idea of uh, uh, recalibrating, the idea of uh, taking uh, this calamity, which could be viewed as a calamity, and uh, using it in a positive way really was um, important. Uh, I wanted to walk away from this trauma better than I was, healthier than I was, uh, more uh, uh, generative than I was, and giving more than I was uh, than, than when it had happened. So this is where gratitude actually started to come into play. Um, you know, it's impossible to be grateful for something that I don't have. I can mm -hmm. hope for it, but gratitude is an indication that I experience it being so right now. So I had a, a practice of gratitude. I'm so happy and grateful now that my business is thriving in a way that is holistically healthy. Then, you know, so I, I mean, I would just kind of work with that. And my life was, and so I, I, I did it with my business. I also did it with my life. But you know, the notion of gratitude, gratitude was one of the grounding pieces that I used to keep myself moving. Um, and the, interestingly, the grieving process, uh, went, and I say went pretty quickly. And I you know, mean that in the sense that, uh, it is a process, but it's not a mechanized process. You can't make things happen, you know, you know, with, particularly with something like that. But in retrospect, um, it, it moved very fastly or I moved through it very fastly. And I know a large part of it had to do with uh, the aspect of gratitude 
you know, just being grateful, not grateful for her demise, not grateful for Pam dying. That wasn't what I was grateful for. I was grateful for the me that was becoming as a consequence of that. The me that was, you know, that was being allowed to emerge as a consequence of that. Um, and, and having that in the forefront made a big difference in how I experienced the grief. Uh, I mean, stuff happens, but mindset is, is everything. You know, the, uh, the Buddhists have got this uh, notion that it's not the first arrow that is painful. It's the second arrow that causes mm. harm. Um, so I, I, I was not inflicting second arrows on myself <laughs> or trying not to anyway. And that second arrow infliction is going, oh, my God, isn't it awful? Isn't it it's horrible? And I would, you know, that second arrow is revisiting mm. the thought of this is all, you know, that that was not where I went. So um, it allowed for a, a, a transformation, you know, not only a spiritual transformation in, in a very fundamental way, but it also allowed for a transformation from a business perspective, from a living perspective, from a life perspective. Uh, it allowed for new relationships to emerge. Uh, that uh, weren't born out of need. They were born out of attraction, which, you know, there's a big distinction there. Um, you know, those sorts of things, you know, kind of come into play. And, um, you know, creativity. I, I've been more creative in this last 10 years than I've been in my entire life. Uh, been more productive in these last 10 years than I've been in my entire life. And I, you know, that, and that is continuing. Uh, yeah, that access into that spiritual well, which is bottomless, mm -hmm. uh, is, is, is a very big part of that. And I am so grateful and thankful now that I have access in a way that allows me to be generative and creative. I mean, that's you know, something that I work with every day. Well, thanks a lot for sharing your story. I really, really appreciate uh, you sharing this with uh, us and with our listeners. Action Tribe, I hope you enjoyed today's session. We're not done yet. Uh, we're learning about compassionate capitalism and the importance of the soul and spirit of entrepreneurship, positive impact, and heart-centered leaders today. Starting a new business can be hard. Bringing out a new idea can be really, really challenging. And rallying people towards a common vision can be difficult, especially if you're just getting started. But remember, nothing worthwhile was ever achieved without obstacles and challenges. If you want to start a new entrepreneurial venture or create a new product, then chances are that you exclusively have been given that idea by the universe. So it is really up to you to bring this to life. But sometimes you just need some patience, uh, some determination, because you're getting closer and closer or at least in your mind, like we're learning today, adding that uh, energy to the uh, possibility that exists within your mind. Because just like uh, the musician Yanni once put, focused will is incredible. If you have a dream and you don't give up, no matter what obstacles come up, then life's problems, well, they will fall away and you will get what you want. It happens and it works. So we are now at the final round for today, which is the wisdom round. Uh, and Blaine, it's basically four questions uh, that need four uh, action-packed responses, sort of like a quick uh, rapid fire <laughs> here, rapid fire round. Rapid fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the first question is, what is uh, the best piece of advice that you received in your life? Best piece of advice, uh, <laughs> I was rock climbing. And um, got stuck on a rock. I mean, and, 
And it was, there was no place to go. I mean, I, I couldn't find any place. And the guy down below said, just move. Mm. And that, I mean, I, and I can still hear his voice, just move. And so I, I reached my hand up. You know, it was almost an instinctual, you know, reflexive action. I found this little crack. It was, I mean, it was literally no more than millimeters, <laughs> but it was just enough to give me enough purchase and I just move. Um, not, you know, Einstein again, nothing happens until something moves. So <laughs> that, that, that has stayed with me for a oh, well, good, you know, lot of numbers of years now. Just move. Just move. And if you could turn back time and spend one hour with someone who is um, either dead right now or living, who would it be? Mm, Mahatma Gandhi. And yeah, what is that uh, one thing that you do in the morning these days or maybe in the evening before going to sleep that has improved the quality of your life? Um, well, Cynthia and I continue to do uh, our ritual readings. Uh, yeah, we've, we've moved to a different reading now. Um, <clears throat> but you know, we continue to do that, and that has made a difference. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, I've uh, got a bit of a morning routine uh, uh, yeah, that involves you know, my espresso, my coffee, and my exercise and my meditation. But <laughs> that I'm not so sure it's changed my life. It's just as a way to settle in and start the day. But it's actually the readings uh, that makes has made the biggest difference. Yeah, got it. That's amazing. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners today, uh, what would that hmm. be? Oh, goodness gracious. Um, you know, um, a very good friend of mine has just written a book, and it's called Happy Money. Okay. And it is actually an incredibly good book. Um, and it takes off on some of the work that um, another good friend of mine, Lynn Twist, uh, in her book, uh, The Soul of Money, uh, wrote about. Uh, the author is Ken Honda. Um, okay. And Ken is a Japanese uh, I was just visiting with him in Japan. Um, the book's in English, and he's uh, he's fluent in English, so it's it's uh, quite good. But it's about happy money. Yeah, how do you yeah how do you work with money? Money is energy, and and, and uh, the way that he's written about this is a, in very accessible, and the stories and the messaging is uh, immediately applicable. And it's and it's a relatively short book. Um, yeah, Ken is you know, Ken has sold over eight million books. Uh, yep. Eight million books. Uh, he is uh, quite prolific in that area, and uh, he's uh, in Japan probably the best known uh, self-help uh, guru, if you will. Uh, he wouldn't like that word, but uh, yeah, he's got quite a following. Yeah, his podcast uh, I think reaches over a million and a half people on a on a weekly basis uh, in Japan. It's he's 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 good, and the book Happy Money is it's well worth the yeah, the investment and the read got it yeah i've seen uh, ken speak uh, on stage actually i'm i was in touch with his team to have him on our show uh, a oh. short while back but for some reason because schedule conflicts i think he he, he travels a lot right it wasn't possible yeah. at that time but this is maybe a reminder for me to reach out once again and see uh, if it's time but thanks a lot for sharing happy money it's great to know that he's released a new book um, yep. action drive if you would like to receive an audible book for free that is if you'd like to try listening to a book instead of reading it uh, then know that audible.com is offering all our listeners one free audiobook download 
with a 30-day trial for free. If you'd like to check it out, go to my7chakras.com forward slash free book, my7chakras.com forward slash free book. I'm not completely sure if this particular book is available on Audible yet, but it makes sense to just uh, search for it and find yeah. out. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if it is. Yeah, it, 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 it's just been released, so it may not be an Audible format yet. Yeah. Got it. So, Blaine, thank you so much for joining me today. It was wonderful, wonderful to connect with you and talk about so many topics that we haven't discussed on our show before this, but that are so useful. Before you go, tell us one thing that you are grateful for and how can our listeners find you online? Well, I, yeah, I continue to be grateful for the work I do. Uh, and, and actually, I'm grateful for the receptivity to the work that I do around compassionate capitalism. Uh, it's getting uh, much greater airplay, obviously. Uh, uh, but it's, it's actually taking hold. Uh, the seeds have been planted, and, it's, and we're starting to see some of the fruits of that. I'm incredibly grateful for that. Uh, and I'm you know, grateful for the leaders that are taking up the mantle of, of, of actually doing this kind of compassionate capitalistic work. Uh, it, it makes a difference. Um, you can find out more about it. Uh, the, the book, obviously, is uh, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the lead generator on that. Uh, compassionate Capitalism, A Journey to the Soul of Business. It's available on Amazon. Um, and then my website, BlaineBartlett.com. Has got a lot of information on it, though, as well as links to different resources. And then finally, uh, just subscribe to my podcast, A Soul of Business. Journey to a Soul, yeah, Journey to the Soul of Business with Blaine Barton. It's available on all of the regular uh, podcast sources. Awesome. We'll have all these three links in the, sh the show notes as well. The link to your book on Amazon, your own website, BlaineBartlett.com, and your podcast so that people can uh, check it out and subscribe on the various podcasting platforms. Um, Action Tribe, a couple of parting thoughts. If you have listened so far and you'd like to support our show in some way or the other, then go to My7Chakras.com forward slash support. My7Chakras.com forward slash support. We love all our listeners and members on Instagram. So if you are listening to this and if you're on Instagram, take a screenshot of this episode and tag me uh, so that I can share your story. My handle is at my seven chakras at my seven chakras. And finally, if you have a question, comment, observation or an experience that you'd, you'd like to share, then my email is aj at my seven chakras.com. AJ at my7chakras.com. So Blaine, thank you so much for coming on our show, talking to us about compassionate capitalism, true leadership, and the soul of business, and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. Mm, hey, Jay, it's been my absolute pleasure. Uh, you're, you're a great interviewer. I, I love the conversation with you. Thank you very much.